Hello everyone and welcome to the Jim Croft podcast where I explore the intersection of solopreneurship and creativity. Like many of us, I've arrived late to the newsletter game. It's easy to regret and hard to act, but if there's one thing I could pass on to artists and solopreneurs, it's to put the past aside and get started today. For me, starting my substack at the beginning of the year unlocked a fresh wave of creative potential and has helped my work to find a new audience. In my quest to better grasp the possibilities of newsletters, I enrolled in a masterclass with today's special guest, Jay Clauser. A true legend in the world of the creator economy, Jay founded Creator Science, a go-to resource for those seeking financial success through their creativity. In this episode, Jay shares insights on overcoming self-doubt, navigating the creator economy's challenges, and mastering the long-term game, and all while building your presence in a crowded digital space. Whether you're running a podcast, newsletter, or business, today's episode will fill you with new ideas and courage for the path ahead. Finally, if you'd like to follow my personal reflections on creativity and entrepreneurship, please feel free to subscribe to my Substack. Okay, I'm thrilled to present you with the warm and brilliant man that is Jay Clauser. If you're ready, then let's dive in. Jay, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, excited to be here, Jim. Thanks for having me. It's kind of wild for me, right? So I was checking out your early days on your podcast and my eyes nearly popped out my head. Why? Because I couldn't quite resist but print it up. Because I, <laughs> so just for those who are on audio, I've got a little printout because right at the start, Jay had Seth Godin as his, as his very first podcast. Correct me if I'm wrong here. And the second, James Clear. And I was like, man, that is absolutely amazing. That is true. That is accurate. I, I definitely want to dive into that a little bit later but the main thing to say because actually like i know that you know kp from building public and he had gary v very early on for him and so i was like okay kp so you're my gary v so i think <laughs> jay you're gonna be my james clear thanks very much and i love that i'll take that i'll take that uh comparison yeah, amazing, man. Well, I want to jump in the deep end, Jay, because I've just been kind of absolutely diving so deeply into your work. I mean, I've known your work for some time and came onto your newsletter, Masterclass, which blew my mind, and, and we got in touch after that. And, and then I was doing all the research, and of course, you're wondering where you're going to start. And then you just put out this post the other day, and I thought, man, it just it hit me so hard. And that's quite unusual, like with the Twitter post, it just kind of stops you in your tracks. So I've actually got a second print out. I couldn't resist it. This was on the 29th of July, 2023, just a couple of days. And it was, you posted this picture. So for the audio people, it's a printout and a tiny scrap, scrappy bit of paper. It looks like purple writing, but that's probably my printer. And no, that's true, just, actually. I think it was it a true? purple pen. I think I grabbed it, like the nearest so pen funny. and it was purple. <laughs> but you know, it's like, this is such a small bit of paper that, you know, Picasso couldn't have even done a sketch on it. It's, you know, it's, like, it's like literally like a thumb, like the size of a thumb. And it says, I am not an artist. I don't have good ideas. I can't do creative work. And I am less valuable because of it. And then there's a wonderful story that goes with it. But I don't want to tell the story, Jay. I just wanted to use that as an invitation because I think people know this type of moment in their lives. So I just, I'd love you to recount the story. Sure. So in, in January of 2017, I was working in a job. It was at a startup company. Mm -hmm. It was venture-backed. And that came on the heels of starting and selling my own company. Mm -hmm. So in like a six-month period, I went from 
okay, I was a co-founder of a company. We sold it. We had a good financial exit. Um, I'm in the room for all major decisions. I'm making those decisions to once that was over, I didn't make enough money that I could just like retire or something. Mm -hmm. I had to go find something else to do. I had an opportunity to join this company, but within that company, I was a leader, but not like the highest group of senior leaders. Mm -hmm. You know, I wasn't in the C-suite. So my reality changed quite a bit and it was kind of humbling and it was a different experience to go from Mm -hmm. I make the rules, I make the timeline, I make the decisions to now I need to manage up and Mm -hmm. make my boss look good and make a case for the senior leadership to make decisions. And I just didn't even really agree with where the company was going. So I felt really stuck and I had this itch that I wanted to go back out on my own, but I had that experience with the previous company. And mm-hmm. even though it went well, it was also exhausting. And it was something that I was not going to take lightly and go into some other new idea mm-hmm. without having a really good idea of what that would be. And there I was just really, really stuck thinking, I don't like what I'm doing. I want to do something on my own, but I couldn't get myself to like do anything to take any action to make that real. So I hired a coach who had been referred to me probably a dozen times at this point. He is local here to Columbus, Ohio. A lot of my friends had worked with him, had great Mm -hmm. experiences. So I hired him. His name is Chris McAllister. I hired him within his program. One of the first weeks, he was like, I want you to go for a walk. Mm -hmm. Uh, Don't take your phone. Don't have any headphones, no music, no distractions. Just take a notebook Mm -hmm. and a pen and try to just listen to whatever is going through your mind, whatever tape is yeah. playing, I believe is what he said, Lovely. that um, you're talking to yourself. Mm-hmm. And after a few minutes of walking, this is what I was hearing. I was hearing this mm-hmm. story of myself saying, I'm not an artist. I'm not creative. I don't have mm-hmm. my own ideas. You know, to this mm-hmm. point, I'd been really good as an operator and taking other people's ideas and making mm-hmm. them real. Mm-hmm. But I didn't feel like I had the ability to form my own ideas. And that was what was preventing me from taking action and doing something to get Mm -hmm. back out on my own. It was something that really hit me because what I love, it's not just what you said, it's that sort of courage for other people to expose that vulnerability because it's such a sort of like deep thing to say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not an artist and everyone has a different thing that they wrestle with. But it just kind of like, you know, so for me, it was actually just this capacity to be vulnerable and to kind of encourage other people with whatever it is that they're going through. And what I love about the story and about your your coach's prompt was it's it's about the noticing, like you said about, you know, listening to the mad monkey in the mind as, as the Buddhists talk about it. So if you were to go right now, and so much has happened since then, but of course, you know, we're, with those very sort of old sort of limiting beliefs. Some of them, in my experience, I've, I've been through psychotherapy over a long period. And I know that some of these things can kind of like take such a long thing to iron out. And um, I'm just wondering, so when you revisit that now and you look at that and you think about that statement, what are the feelings that kind of come up? Where are you at at the moment with it, with so much having happened since? Well, now I don't have a shortage of ideas. Ideas are actually pretty easy to come by. Now, everything is about decision-making and resource allocation. Mm -hmm. These are like big financial words, sort of. But really Mm -hmm. what I'm saying is, how do you want to spend your time? How do you want to spend your money to get to the outcomes that you want? Mm -hmm. And you get to a point where you've you've built your idea muscle, where you have more ideas than you have resources to see those Mm -hmm. ideas through. Right. So now ideas aren't the issue. And I'm glad. And you know, it's, it's really, you know, the next exercise that my coach put us through is, okay, typically these stories we tell ourselves 
we can flip them on their head mm-hmm. and create evidence to the contrary if that's something yep. we want to disprove. Mm-hmm. So my evidence to the contrary was to start writing a daily newsletter and shipping it yep. literally every day. And that built a muscle and a practice of creativity and ideas. And so there's just a muscle there where ideas are no longer an issue. As we're talking mm-hmm. here, Jim, literally I have a notion document open with a page of bullet points underneath a heading content ideas, because there's a good chance that you asked me a question here. That is something that I haven't thought about in a while mm-hmm. that I realize is, oh, that's, that is useful and, and helpful to other people. And I've forgotten that that is something that I take for granted. So there's, right. there's ideas all around you. It's really just yeah. figuring out when do they happen? How do they happen? Mm-hmm. How do I capture them when they come? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I studied history of art and architectural history and have been in the art my, my whole life. It's always such a fascinating contemplation for me, what art is, what creativity, where it comes from. And in terms of that question, one of the things that I look at you, because I, I see creativity in whatever the hell art is, is a very sort of inclusive house and it's a very wide canvas. And there's this wonderful quotations from the Zen Buddhist, which is, it's about finding the, the face that you had before you were born. This mm. sense that all of us have a true potential or a true uh, self that often society or nurture or whatever it is that pulls us away from that. So when I looked at that quotation that you beautifully put out into public, I'm not an artist. I was like, oh, wow. It's, it's, it's like, there's an, cause it says for me, there's an aspiration towards something and then there's a block. And one of the things that you said at the end of the post was you can change your beliefs and by changing your beliefs, you can change your reality. And for me, that was such a sort of lovely nutshell of, for me, what I've sensed is because it's very hard to put just one umbrella over your work because I feel like you're giving a gift of helping people, other people to realize their potential. So where would you see the, the essence of your work being at this point because it's because it's on the one hand so focused and so tangible and yet on the other hand, it's so kaleidoscopic and so relevant to what people are going through in society. I'm just wondering if I was to say, okay, where are you at with that? What would be your response? Well, there's like the the contrived, here's my document laying out the vision for my company response. And then there's mm-hmm. kind of the gut feeling response, you know? Right. When What's about the gut instinct? Some, the gut instinct <laughs> is that I encourage and empower people to take the steps towards, you know, their true expression. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um creator science, the business, you know, the, the umbrella of that, the container of that is meant to be a resource that people can enter it no matter where they are on their journey. And I should be able to walk alongside them and help them get to a point where Mm -hmm. their creativity is fueling, creating a financial engine for their life. Right. You know, it's, it's very much like I will teach you to be a professional creator. Mm -hmm. Um, when I think about the content that I am most drawn to make and, and make most readily, it's more often um, encouragement more than anything else, mm-hmm. you know, because like I love practical, tangible advice as much as the next person, but I feel like there's almost no shortage of that on social media. I open it up and it's like, here's an entire feed of eight ways to do this. And it's yep. it's like, okay, but I actually don't even have time to do the eight ways threads mm-hmm. that I see just on my screen right now. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> I think more often than not, like we have what we need inside of us. What we need is some encouragement and some courage, which I haven't really thought about this, but it seems like those share a root word. Mm-hmm. And that's what I try to provide a lot of times. 
I think that's one of the things that I admire how you're doing it because there is such a sort of guru culture out there. You go on Twitter and it's like, I mean, actually, especially since sort of chat GPTs come out. I mean, it's like every other person is copywriting all this kind of guru advice. And so I think that becomes this kind of sense of overwhelm and there's so much pragmatic, practical tip advice. And yet, so few of it is actually reaching into the spirit and giving you that sense of buzz. This you could be potentially, and this is how you're going to do it. And so that's something that I really feed from the how behind your work, because you're really trying to distill the mystery of what so many people aspire for and to in the modern world, and then to reach out and give them the tools step by step to do it. There's also a level of honesty I aspire to, because I think mm -hmm. a lot of the you know, use the word guru, but a lot of this talking head, practical <laughs> advice isn't very honest. You know, it's not it's not a lie, but the things <laughs> yeah. that it omits are misleading. You know, yep. there's a lot of omission of mm -hmm. of luck or mm -hmm. uh, unfair advantages or mm -hmm. the the breaks that people make for themselves by forming yep. forming relationships. You know, yeah, this isn't a game of simply information or even simply creativity. There are a lot of facets of this game that some people conveniently omit because they realize, well, it's hard for me to speak to this because it's not actually available to everybody. And yet it was still important to their journey, maybe even paramount to their journey, um, but it's, it's not spoken about. And so I, I really mm -hmm. try to have a level of intellectual honesty that's different from others to say like, hey, actually, this might not be a path for you. This might be mm -hmm. harder than you think. Here are some trade-offs and compromises that people you're mm -hmm. looking after, looking up to, you're modeling after, that they are taking on that you may not realize. And um, I don't know, I, it, it probably isn't in my financial best interests because I think mm -hmm. it repels some people away from the path, which mm -hmm. I honestly think is a good thing because to try to be a professional creator, to try to make a living from your creativity like this, there is a level of entrepreneurship you must embrace. Mm -hmm. And not everybody is cut out to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm i sorry, but it's not that you can't. It's that most people aren't willing. Yeah. <laughs> and if yep. you're not willing, I want you to recognize that now and mm -hmm. save yourself the heartache and mm -hmm. financial hardship that mm -hmm. often comes mm -hmm. with going down that path. Well, and risk and loneliness and you know, all of the different qualities that actually come about when you're trying to build something, whether it's in the arts or as a solopreneur on your own. I mean, that, I, mean I, I think this is why it's so fascinating for me to speak with you because you're like a bridge for me between these creative pain points that sort of artists, struggling artists who are sort of trying to reconcile with the digital economy and the solopreneurs and, you know, people trying to set out. And, you know, you're right there trying to figure out in very pragmatic ways. But I think just to reflect on what you just said, Jay, I would actually look at it differently that it might not be financially practical for you because I think that's one of the reasons why you've built up this enormous sense of trust within your community because you're a straight, you know, you're a straight shooter and you say it as it is. And if you're challenging someone who thinks that they want to go, you know, on, let's say the arts path or the, 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 the creator path or whatever it is, 
it's no bad thing to be challenged by someone down the line because then you have to look inside yourself and you have to totally you've got you've got the reality and then you can make your choices because you're not putting a block in the road you're just putting a tough argument out there i often try to talk people out of things that are difficult because you have to tell me that you don't care and you're going to do it anyway to show me that you have <laughs> yes. the yeah. the attitude and the fortitude to get through yeah. it so you run, so maybe you could just, for anyone who doesn't know your work from, from my audience, I was about to ask you about sort of the pain points that you're coming across at this point in Creator Lab. But just before we go into that, maybe you could just give them a very quick summary about what the Creator Lab is so that they've got a sense of context. And then we could sure. go to the question of what are the pain points that you're coming across in creators out there at this point? So the lab is my membership community. It's a 200-person membership community. We have a cap at 200 members. We're currently at that cap. Um, started it in March of 2022. Mm -hmm. And it is a membership for professional creators, places mm -hmm. where they can experiment and grow together. So in what that community... Sorry to interrupt. I'm just wondering, what types of experimentations do you run there, just out of interest? I mean, people are doing their own experiments all the time. Things mm -hmm. like hey, I'm going to unpublish some of my paid products and see if I can sell more of this one. Or, mm -hmm. hey, I'm going to take a month off of social media and see what mm -hmm. happens. Or, hey, I'm going to spend mm -hmm. a month going extra hard into threads and see what happens. Mm -hmm. So I think really the only way to break through as a creator and build a living doing this is that you have to build a culture of experimentation in yourself, in your own mm -hmm. business. Because things are changing all the time. What's yep. working changes all the time. You mm -hmm. have to be willing to innovate, experiment, uh, understand the results of those experiments and change your process based on those results. So this is a place where we can kind of aggregate and share those, those experiments together. Uh, that I, I, I love that you're creating this space and that you're limiting it because there is no way to look after too many people, I think, at the same at the same time. And I think that's just a wonderful point. So within that space, just to give me a little overview, if I were to, if I were to say, yeah, what pain points are you noticing at this point or are typical that you see? Just a little overview there. I mean, I think most creators would say that they are struggling with either reach or revenue or resonance, mm -hmm. or relationships. Like it's these four R's that I think about. <laughs> nice. How, you know, where, where are things falling apart? Um, people often have like a financial problem, which they equate to a reach problem. They think, well, I'm not making enough money, which means I need to get in front of more people, which may not actually be true. You know, if you, if you have a resonance problem, the people that you are getting in front of aren't resonating with your content and mm -hmm. taking action from it, that might be what solves your financial problem more than reach. So it's it's generally one of those four things, whether they've correctly identified which one of those things it is or not. Um, it's usually one of those four. There are rather a lot of artists who follow me in my audience because I'm very interested in the sort of spirituality, if you like, of the creative path the blockades that we come across when we're trying to create something. And one of the things I've noticed, Jay, so, so I, for me, I'm very late into even considering the content creation game as something that I was even thinking about. So what I mean by that, so I, I'm a bit older, in my 40s, grew up without, you know, I think Facebook was like 27 when it kind of came out. And so I was kind of, yeah, what's all this stuff? And then I guess I was kind of like, in some ways you could say like an old fashioned artist in that when 
that as a full-time musician and the world was going to putting out one song every six weeks because that's what the Spotify algorithm likes. I was putting out long form albums. And then when the world was gravitating towards uh, Snapchat, I was off going 15,000 kilometers across Russia you know, on the Trans-Siberian Express, doing gig after gig after gig and hammering it the sort of old fashioned way and shooting shooting documentaries. So I was, I was always kind of, like, don't get me wrong, I was using social media, but, and I think this is something that's qu quite a regular pattern for artists that, that and, and I think I, I recognize it as, I'm not saying that it's uh, correct, but it's an assumption. It's like, if I do great work and if I put it out, the world will find a way to, to notice. And the sort of older that I've got, and you know, I've been in a sort of lucky position at different times. I've had kind of occasionally some big players behind me. It was on sort of a major label and had a worldwide publishing deal. So I had, you know, when I was coming up through as a musician, I had some clout behind me. And, you know, you get some of that stuff kind of taken care of you. But I think for a lot of artists, there's still the hope of finding a way through the gatekeepers of the world, so to speak, that you might get that big record deal or with the film, you might get that breakthrough moment. Whereas I think there's a kind of like different mindset that I notice in the creator economy because the creator economy has more of a kind of, as you said, an entrepreneurial approach to it. It's like, okay, this is something that you have to recognize that exists and that we have to work out how to do in order to get our work or our art or if it's a YouTube channel or if it's a business, whatever it is, so it's that kind of state of reality that you kind of have to, you have to deal with. So the question that I've just got at the moment is artists, for instance, let's say you're a painter and you're putting out your your paintings and, and so on. And you know, you're doing great work. You know that you've got that fire in you and you know, you spent years with your talent you're developing your talent, putting it out into the world, but you're just, you're just hitting a wall in terms of al algorithmic reach. And I'm just sort of wondering what would be your reflection for artists who are in this point where they're doing great work and they know that they're doing good stuff, but let's say they've got a kind of resistance to really going deep into figuring out this creator economy stuff because they know that the more time you spend you know, doing a podcast, doing a newsletter, showing up every day on social media. Well, what's the consequence of that? It's diluting the time of going after the Godhead or however you want to put it in terms of like that artistic thing. So I'm just, what would be your reflection to those artists who are in this gray zone with social media, but they know they should do it. They're kind of doing it, but they're not committed. And they might even have some very reasonable reservations about doing it because it takes away from that time with their art. Yeah. Well, I, I like this direction to come from because what I see more often is people being really, really active on social media, making short form content, but there's not really a there there. There's nothing afterwards. There's nothing right. that they're like compulsively doing. Mm -hmm. I think it's better to come at it from a place of, hey, I have this this creative practice where I'm creating larger, what do you call it, long form or project based mm -hmm you yeah. know, creative act. Yeah. So the thing you got to realize about social media is people care about things that like mean something to them. This mm -hmm. is where a lot of traditional artists, I think get stuck is they aren't necessarily creating with the consumer in mind. So right. why would the consumer care most of the time? Yeah. You know, most of the time, if you're making something that isn't for the benefit 
of someone on the other side of the screen, right? Someone on the other side of the screen isn't going to care, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? And so you have to ask yourself, who is my art for? Am mm-hmm. I making it for me? Mm-hmm. And come what may, in which case you get what you get and you can't throw a fit. Or am I making this for the purpose <laughs> of impacting other people yeah. and having this be enjoyed by others? Mm-hmm. If you do that, then you need to ask, well, who are those others? Mm-hmm. Who is who is this for? Well, and and also, what does it do it, for them? And, and also, if I may just interject, to be very careful about noticing the point of dilution, because I think what's so interesting is that when you're creating something in the arts you can be having a sort of you know i know some artists who i think i mean i'm like how the hell is this artist not known worldwide because there is such a power in there and and you know and i can diagnose okay i can see they're not packaging it just like you're saying they're not packaging it for giving this obvious value to the person who's going out and so my i'm sorry to interrupt there jay i just wanted to kind of go into it because i find this such an interesting area so they're putting it out but what they're not doing is creating the bridge necessarily to the consumer of the art and this is why i just i find such an interesting area because artists have that resistance and so part of my messaging has been look you've got to actually look at the the messaging itself as a part of the work. Because like you said, if not, you know, it's just chance. The world might yeah. get it and some artists go absolutely mental, but some very talented ones just don't kind of get anywhere. And so I, but I just find it very interesting because it's that, that point of, of, yes, that's a, it's a really good strategy, but there's a danger of dilution when you start doing something too much out of expedience of wanting something as a result, if you understand what I mean. Yeah, I mean, look, social media is a competition. There is yeah. a finite mm-hmm. amount mm-hmm. of space that will be utilized to serve mm-hmm. the amount of attention that a global consciousness is putting into the platform on a daily basis. Yeah, You are literally competing with everything else mm-hmm. that's out there. Mm-hmm. So if you're doing that, your work has to do a better job of connecting with people than mm-hmm. the other work compete for that attention because those platforms mm-hmm. will surface the things that mm-hmm. hold people's attention the best. That's just that's just the reality of it. There are people who have what I would consider lower quality creative work who get a lot more time uh, of attention in people's mm-hmm. eyes because they have figured out how to use that product and connect with people in a more mm-hmm. effective way than people who might have what you see as higher quality creative work. It's mm-hmm. just true. Like yeah. I, it's. It's, it's the way the game is played. If you're going yep. to play these games and every social media platform is a game and there yep. are games within the game, mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. you're going to play these games, then you need to learn the rules. You need to learn the other yep. players and understand how you win these games. Yep. Like, it's, it's unfortunate, but it's true. It's not mm-hmm. a meritocracy. There's almost no mm-hmm. meritocracy in this place. Are there I, I some lo- people who have work so good that it just mm-hmm. shines through without that? Yep. Maybe, yeah. but I think yeah. less often than the, than the inverse. Yeah. Well, you know, what? something I really enjoy about what you're saying is the brutality of the diagnosis because it's, it's like, you know, you're putting it very straight there. It's like, look, look at it as a competition. You know, it's a very competitive thing and it's a global consciousness and there's all types of beautiful things out there, but essentially you're getting all of this stuff, you know, and being dumped out there and you've got to find a way through. And so in order to find a way through, you have to work out what are the parameters of the game. And this is the kind of like interesting thing because for many artists, there's just this kind of resistance to not want to play that game because they're feeding from a a different place. And I don't mean right or wrong. 
don't mean good or bad. It makes so many spirits. I mean, thank God that not everyone wants to approach their work with a sense of competitiveness and a sense of expediency. But this is kind of like one of the things that I'm very interested in, Jay, because just to give you a kind of like sense of where I arrived at. So I, I remember like, let's say in about kind of 2013, I, I built up a pretty healthy following on Facebook. It was about 14,000 people. It was a really buzzing community. And then the Facebook algorithm changed and you basically had to pay to play. And it was pretty devastating as an artist because, you know, I wasn't making like loads of money as an artist. I was like, damn, this just isn't working. And I just at that point got signed by major label deal was apex of my career got bought by uh, it was emi got bought by universal record came out on the friday and then it and then universal bought emi that weekend so the, at the apex of my career i literally lost it and that was you know obviously that was a kind of you know tough blow at, blow at the time but much tougher was the fact that the facebook algorithm literally around that time just changed where you had to pay to play so i kind of had to figure it out and i kind of stopped really kind of like using social media for quite some time and you know and i just got into the business of living i started building up my client business as a filmmaker and a photographer and i've been sort of very lucky how that's gone shot a bunch of documentaries and then years later i hadn't even been on instagram and i kind of went on instagram i was like oh there's a couple of thousand people here i was like that's weird I, I literally just put out a few few posts and i was like okay i put out a post and then suddenly there's actually engagement again and i know that meta own instagram but it wasn't cutting off reach in the same type of way so i was like okay maybe i've, I've got i could put some skin back into this type of game if you like and then when the pandemic hit i went off after the pandemic i really sort of went deeply internal in the, in the pandemic kind of cut off from the world really sort of went into sort of spiritual deep dive if you like wrote a, a, you know, wrote a book and just kind of went so far. And then after the pandemic, went out in my van and I was like, right, got to this kind of crossroads where it's like, right, I want, I want to carry on being an artist. I know that I've been resistant to this game. I was like, but exactly like we're talking about, I was like, right, I've got to figure out if I'm going to carry on, I've got to figure out how to play this game. And basically arrived at the same diagnosis it's like if you're going to play it you've got to get skin in the game and you've got to get out there and you've got to get going and then the more that I did that and I've so it's been sort of like this journey of step by step figuring out it's why I love your work because you know you're always diagnosing all of these pain points that I feel and that I notice in other artists and and then I've been sort of like sharing what I learn along the way but it's just this interesting point that I see this manifest resistance to getting in the game in that way from so many of the most I, mean, I live in berlin and there's just so many wonderful artists here and i see so many of them just a complete resistance and i think for a lot of these artists it's like i won't play that faustian game because they, they don't even have that sense of competition in that same type of way so it's just a very kind of interesting thing because the problem is they end up being in this in this like there's this wonderful word schwiegespalten in german which means that you're basically locked between two places you're neither here nor there and you're sort of between it and so i think that kind of defines the experience with social media it's neither being you know sort of here nor there but your met so but your message to those people like what would be your message because you if they're like well you're not interested to get into the create a game for legitimate reasons but you're deep deep in the arts game there's a kind of paradox there for me not not in what you're saying but just for these people because i'm like if i want my work to be shown i have to jump 
into this game. I, just like you've said, it's like you've got to recognize there's a competitive aspect, that there's a lot of stuff going you know, out there and you just kind of got to go for it. But if people don't want to get into the creator game, where, where would you say that leaves those artists? Because essentially, I, yeah, what, what, where would you say it, it leaves those people? I mean, there are lots of different games you can play. Mm-hmm. The question is, the, the outcome that you want, how do you achieve it? Probably yeah. through a game, because there's going to be more people <laughs> who want that outcome than can mm-hmm. achieve it. So there is mm-hmm. some game at play. Yeah. And if you want the outcome, you have to learn the rules of that game. It might not be the mm-hmm. social media algorithm game. It mm-hmm. could be the mm-hmm. gatekeeper game. You know, yeah. how do I get the record yeah. deal? Yeah. How do I get that conversation? This is all talking about distribution, really. Yeah. How do I get my work in front of the people who want to hear it? Yeah. In a lot of traditional artistic history, there is a gatekeeper to distribution. Yeah. They've already built distribution. They need to basically anoint you and say, here you go. We will mm-hmm. allow you the benefits of our distribution. What social uh, media and the creator games have done is make mm-hmm. distribution uh, more democratic. I won't, yeah. say mer- I won't say meritocratic. It's not a meritocracy, but it is more democratic. It is more widely mm-hmm. accessible, but it's accessible mm-hmm. by playing those games. So if you're mm-hmm. not willing to play those games, you're probably just not going to get the outcomes that yep. you want. You have to look at how are the outcomes that I want achieved? What are the mm-hmm. games that lead to it? And which game am I most willing to play? Because yep. if you're not willing to play it, then you need to admit to yourself that you're not going to get that outcome. Yep. So the key thing is the diagnosis and actually just making a plan. And it's what what I'm understanding from you, and which I I really like, because I think one of the easy things, not one of the easy things, but one of the things I think sort of we tend to do as artists is you have this vision, you have this idea, and then you just get absolutely dominated by that vision and you kind of go after it. And there's not that kind of stepping back of A, thinking, okay, what is, what is the end game? What's the, you know, what's the strategy on the one hand? And then which is the business side and how am I going to get this damn thing shipped and out there? And then the other side is the messaging. So, so that's the kind of, I think the sort of the blockade, if you like. The other issue is If your audience hasn't heard of what survivorship bias is, we need to talk about that because you're probably a victim of this. Survivorship bias is this idea that we often hear the stories of people who have survived what are typically perilous situations, and we take their story as the way to achieve something Mm -hmm. uh, rather than the people who had the same approach, the same experience, but did not get the outcome. So what you hear a lot in the in the business world, in the artist world, you hear stories of people who had some crazy lucky break. Like, I don't even know if this is true or not, but I've heard a story in the past that <laughs> Florence from Florence and the Machine was literally like singing in a bathroom or something. Mm-hmm. And someone came in and said, you have an amazing voice. And that person like discovered her. Let's, let's just take the idea of discovery as a right. whole. Because that mm-hmm. that story may be complete bullshit and was told to me and I don't know anything about it. (laughs) But let's take the idea of discovery as a whole. It tells you that all you have to do is be talented Mm. and uh, be really great at your work and someone will discover you and give you the floor. And that has probably happened for some number of people, but a very small number of people. Right. There's probably a great number of people, 10x, 100x more people who have taken the same approach, which is to create and try to be really good at my craft and hope I get discovered, 
who have not been discovered. The math is not in your favor. You right. hear a lot of these stories that you say, well, this person did it that way, so mm -hmm. I can do it that way. But what's likely at play here is survivorship bias, where they are one of a small minority of people who found success in this way, and yep. there are far more people who did not. Mm -hmm. And you can play that game, but recognize the outcome of that game has very low success rate. Has or a you lot can play to do a different luck. game. Mm -hmm. A lot to do with luck. Mm -hmm. Or you can play a different game and try yeah. to influence the success rate by taking a different approach, a plan, as you said, Jim. Mm -hmm. Yes, most people do not have a plan. Their plan yep. is luck. Their plan mm -hmm. is, I hope to be good enough <laughs> to yes. recognize and be the beneficiary yeah. of luck. And mm -hmm. that is not a strategy. Yeah. Well, and, and actually don't, I think are so fixated in, in a wonderful way, deep in what they're doing that there's not actually a plan in the first place. Because I think, I think the sort of the, the danger in the arts, the illusion is that when you're really feeling it, that thing that's out there and you're going after it, you believe, you know, I think it's you know, Lennon talked about the sort of music of the spheres. I mean, obviously, you know, extraordinarily talented individual, I'm saying. But what I mean is that when someone's so deep into that creative fire and that thing, there's a sort of like an assumption, I think, that can kind of go with it, that it will find its way. I think one of the things I think we have to recognize about the digital economy is that that has changed. I talked a little bit about this with KP because I was like, well, how do you deal with the digital economy if you're just resistant to it, if you're just old-fashioned? He was like, well, you, you, you just have to recognize that this is a part of how we exist nowadays. And that kind of leads me to my next question, Jay. So like, I've been, you know, I'm sort of like deep on this sort of hunt. I mean, I'm in a lucky position that my client work goes well and I've got different revenue streams coming in from sort of music in different areas and it's going good enough, but I'd like to sort of like push it forward. But I'm sort of sharing all of the things I'm learning along the way as I reconcile with the digital economy, with different ways of how to do it and doing it. So what I would just love to go through a pathway with you that taps a little bit more into your expertise so that if someone's listening and they're going, okay, right, I recognize I've been in this gray zone. I need to get out. I'd like to kind of give them like a sort of, you know, to tap your brain, miniature masterclass in the different pathways and what's before them or what the options are. And just to kind of, because what I would like to do is help people get out of that blockade and go, look, it's really empowering and exciting to, you know, you're already essentially a solo business because you're an artist because to be an artist is essentially to be a solo business. It just takes a little shift of perspective to activate the muscle, to kind of go on the journey where then a lot of different opportunities and possi possibilities exist. So what I thought I would, I would do is just ask a starting question and then you can either ignore it and go, okay, well, that's an interesting starting point. So I'll just shove it out there, Jay. And it's, it's like, what's, I've heard you talking about the difference between relationship platforms and discovery platforms. And I've found that sort of a really interesting distinction between the relationship platforms like podcasting or newsletters and discovery like Instagram or Twitter. And I, so Anyway, you can take that, come into it later or whatever, but it's like, let's just dive into, okay, what are the options for this, this artist, whether it's a uh, artist, musician, struggling actor, illustrator, someone who's, who's reached a bottleneck in their career. And they're like, no, I know I've got to get into this game. How am I going to do it? Well, I think we've actually been spending a fair amount of time on the first step, which is to identify, well, let's say, let's even start with like the outcome that you want, mm -hmm. because you can't reach any destination without 
knowing what that destination is, you know? So I think it's really important that people are clear and honest with themselves as to what the goal is here. What, mm-hmm. what is success? What am I trying to achieve? And that doesn't have to be numerical. That could be yeah. a feeling of sort, mm-hmm. but I like to have it be tangible, something that you could definitively say, mm-hmm. yep, I have achieved this. Such as? Once, sustain- such, such as like, I want to earn a living from my music and yeah. maybe even put a number on that. If I could mm-hmm. earn mm-hmm. $45,000 per year from this mm-hmm. or 50,000 or whatever it is, yeah. whatever number you want, this is, this is what we're going for here. Okay, great. How does that happen? Well, let's reverse engineer that then. Mm-hmm. Where does money come from in this thing I'm making? <laughs> you know, yeah. where does money come from? Uh, if it comes from streams entirely, then you're going to have to get a lot of streams <laughs> and you can recognize that and say, okay, how do I do that? And yeah. figure out how to play that game. Or you can mm-hmm. say, let's actually change how money happens here. Mm-hmm. Let's find mm-hmm. a more efficient, more impactful path to revenue in the business. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's all about where am I going? How do I reverse engineer it? Mm-hmm. And then you start to get down into some of these binary or, or smaller choices within the games. You know, you mm-hmm. mentioned relationship and discovery platforms that comes into play. If you've opted into this direct to consumer creator game that we're playing, you know, mm-hmm. if you are trying to have direct relationships and distribution mm-hmm. to your audience that you own, which mm-hmm. I think is a worthy game to play. It's the one that mm-hmm. I've chosen to play for mm-hmm. sure. Then you start to ask, okay, how do I do that? Mm-hmm. If you're willing to play uh, this distribution game where you build your own distribution, you're not playing the gatekeeper game. Then what you've mentioned, Jim, is this distinction between relationship and discovery platforms. Mm-hmm. You shared earlier how you had built up distribution through Facebook and Facebook basically changed the rules on you yeah. and said, actually, this is our distribution and we're not giving <laughs> yeah. it to you anymore. Yep. Yep. So Facebook is a social media platform. It owns several social media platforms, Instagram, Threads Now, where you can build distribution. And it's great because mm-hmm. there is built-in discoverability. Mm-hmm. It is in those platforms' best interest, at least at certain times in their evolution, to help the creators on the platform get in front of new audience. Mm-hmm. Because your work connects to that audience, it keeps people on the platform, it incentivizes the platform to do that. I call social media platforms like this discovery platforms mm-hmm. because this is the game where you are building distribution more quickly. Because there are people who are looking to discover other people and you are someone who has work ready to be discovered. Yep. This is the way people build distribution quickly. Mm-hmm. However, as we noted, that comes with risks. There is some inherent loss of control. Um, these social media platforms are a gatekeeper in their own way. Right. Uh, I, would, I would put search platforms like Google and even YouTube in this category mm-hmm. as well. Then you have relationship platforms. Mm-hmm. These platforms are distribution mechanisms that you own and nobody can take away from you. Namely, that would be email, podcasting, SMS, and a private community of some sort. These are great because there is no Facebook to come in and say, hey, you're 14,000 email subscribers. No, you can't reach them anymore. Those people have opted in to receive communication from you. Mm -hmm. They've shared with you direct contact information that you have the option to communicate with for as long as they continue to give you Mm -hmm. that access. Yep. So the game that I play is how do I leverage discovery platforms to get in front of new people quickly and in Mm -hmm. large numbers? Mm -hmm. And then how do I 
move those people from that discovery platform into a relationship platform, Mm -hmm. namely email is what Mm -hmm. I care about the most. And over time, you know, every day that I'm posting on social media, multiple platforms per day, uh, you know, every week, every month, every year, I am adding a lot of new people into the distribution system that I own and control, which is email, which is podcasting, Mm -hmm. uh, maybe SMS one day. That's the game that we're playing here because then you have reliable, consistent communication with your audience directly for as long as they want to continue to allow it. Mm -hmm. And that is what you monetize. Instead Mm -hmm. of selling streams, you say, hey, I just launched a Kickstarter. One of my favorite bands is called Murder by Death. You can see their artwork over my shoulder here. Every time (laughs) they release a new album, they do it on Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. And to those Kickstarter backers, there's a limited number of seats to an underground cave concert. Again, that's where this artwork comes from. Mm -hmm. And that's awesome. I get a notification from them. Hey, we just released our new Kickstarter, new album. You can come to our next cave show. And I'm giving them hundreds of dollars at a time. Mm -hmm. I could listen to their streams and I would contribute probably less than a penny to their bottom Mm -hmm. line. Mm -hmm. Or because I've given them my email address, I give them literally hundreds of dollars per year, probably Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. for merchandise, new albums, experiences, things like that. And following on from that, Jane, correct me if I'm wrong. You are slightly unusual in that you have built up your following more from relationship platforms, namely your newsletter to start with and the podcast, which I find very, very interesting and a little bit unusual nowadays because obviously sort of people are so social media conscious and trying to sort of break through and, and work it out. I think I remember a pain point of you, maybe this was six months or a year ago, going, well, if there was one thing I could have changed, I would have got more into discovery platforms totally. early yep. and done it in conjunction. So maybe you could just walk us through that. First of all, why you went to email and also, man, because it's like, I, you know, I, I've got really dis- disciplined about Substack about having a newsletter this year. I have the, the opposite and I wish I'd really gone for my newsletter years ago, A, because mm-hmm. I absolutely mm-hmm. love reading it and I get so much value. And also because it just, it interprets my ideas. It breaks them down, it pulls them out of the ether and it puts it into a communicable form where you can really start affecting people's lives and reaching them and having a great relationship with them. So I just wonder if you, maybe you could just say, well, why did you go to newsletter so so early which in retrospect to me seems quite a luminous choice but comes with the pain point that you have of like oh damn i should have gotten a bit of social media as well well this <laughs> these games aren't new so when i was yeah. starting my newsletter in 2017 i was tuning into creators who weren't calling themselves creators at the time by the way mm-hmm. but i was tuning into online business people and they were all about email they really? they they were showing me that hey courses is the model email is how you sell courses Mm -hmm. so to me i was like okay i guess i'm gonna build email and they those people are also staunchly anti-social media they're like build your email build your email build your email Mm -hmm. because social media is rented land that's true but but they were overemphasizing it yeah i'm just jumping in there because i'm like okay you don't have a social media following and you start an email list. Now, a lot of people who listen going, well, that's great. But if I start an email list, okay, I could pop mom and dad in there tomorrow, but how the hell do I reach anyone else? So what was your strategy? Like how many people did you have in 2017 when you started out? What was your strategy? Because you've, I mean, I think you've got like, am I right in saying there's about 30,000 like, yeah. like subscribers, which is wonderful and like so amazing how it's built up. How the hell did you do it? And especially before you got in a social media game, because for me, that sounds like a mystery. <laughs> well, listen, I mean, 
in the beginning, it was a lot of direct hand-to-hand combat. I, I actually really love the advice that for your first 100 subscribers, like reach out to 100 people directly through text, through email, people you know, say you're doing this thing and ask them if they want to subscribe. Like get your mates um, down to your first gig when you've got a concert type thing. Yeah, totally, yeah. totally. Um, I didn't have a strategy over time. You know, what I was doing was I would do some free uh, events for a while and it would be like, hey, to join the session, you have to register on Zoom or Eventbrite or whatever it is at the time. And that pulls you into the email ecosystem. I would create lead magnets or uh, email courses, things that were like outcome driven, uh, but delivered via email. And it was slow. You know, I, I think I probably launched it on social media first and said like, hey, I'm writing a newsletter. And in the beginning, people are excited. People share it. It's fun. Mm-hmm. But I know I switched over from MailChimp to ConvertKit in August of 2020. Mm-hmm. And in August of 2020, I had 1,800 subscribers. So in the first, you know, three wow. years, less than 2,000 subscribers total. Yeah. But that's, so inspi- that's really inspiring, Jay, as well, because you hammered out the hard work. I mean, that's an amazing growth since then. So, I mean, for me, it just my reflection just to butt in is like, man, okay, you did it hand-to-hand combat, but then look how it's gone since then. So it's a really inspiring story. Yeah, things aren't linear forever. Like mm-hmm. if, you, if, you play <laughs> nice. these, if you play these content games, it may look linear in the beginning because the numbers and absolutes are just very low. You, go, mm-hmm. you know, going from one subscriber to two subscribers a three to four that's a very linear small slope but what you don't realize underneath that is mm. hey one percent of these people they absolutely love this and they share it with people mm-hmm. and so when you have a hundred right. people that's one person who's out there spreading the word that's going to happen pretty slowly but mm-hmm. when you have a thousand people that's 10 people that are spreading the word when you have ten thousand people yeah. that's a hundred people that are spreading yeah. the word and if one of those a hundred people who are spreading the word now uh have their own audience they have their own distribution things can hit an inflection point that can be yeah. pretty powerful. Yeah. So you you have to embrace the fact that this is both a long-term game, yeah. but when you're willing to play that long-term game, you recognize that time is actually in your favor. That if you're playing mm-hmm. a long-term mm-hmm. game, it's only a matter of time bet- mm-hmm. before good things happen. So it's not like this yeah. very stressful, well, inflection points got to hit tomorrow. I have no idea when the next inflection yeah. point will hit. It doesn't matter. Yeah. I just know that if I do this for long enough and I set mm. up the systems and the process to be something I enjoy and can sustain long-term, mm. good things will happen at certain points along that journey. And I, I love that message, Jay, as well, because it's like if you know that you've got something in your area and your heart's beating for it every day, well, it's like, okay, the, I think one of the problems that people have and it becomes limiting aspect is you know they want the fairy the fairy tale story the kind of idea of discovery like you said earlier whereas what you're saying it's like look this is about a strategy this is about a longer term game but if you show up consistently and you do it over time and with that heart and that commitment it compounds and great things can happen and i find that a very encouraging message and it's also a non-bullshit message because it's like look there is a pathway to where you're trying to get to have the courage to go after it 100 100 that's what i want to tell people is like i can't promise you any specific short-term result what i can promise is that you if you play a long-term game and you set yourself up for success over the long term and do things that are sustainable good things will happen Mm -hmm. um but it takes effort and it's it's a big investment of time and some people listening to this will say okay i get it i see the path and it sounds like i can do that some people will say 
no, I'm not going to play that game. And that's totally fine. Yeah, yeah. Recognize what game you are willing to play and try to be good at that game. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think it's easy to hear this conversation and have like a derogatory idea of the concept of games, but we love games. <laughs> yes. I guarantee there are games in yeah. your life that you play yeah. that you love. So yeah. when I say I'm playing this game, I say it lovingly. I enjoy yeah. playing the game. Yeah. I wake yeah. up excited to play the game. Yeah. Uh, find the game that you're excited to play. I think that when you're pursuing something with great discipline and especially when you're ramping up the pressure on it because you need it to happen, the first thing that you so often lose is the sense of fun and lightness. So it's kind of like you need not just to play the game, but to find a way to you know, to, to, to have the depth, but to stay spiritually light within it, right? Yeah. I think if you find a game that you enjoy playing, then that playfulness will be there. You know, games are different from jobs. A lot of yeah, time we yeah. accept jobs that we don't like <laughs> yeah. and we do what we do in them to get by and get the outcome yeah. that we want, which is just the wage. Um, but games, there there is an innate playfulness that comes out when you recognize you are playing a game. Mm-hmm. And you should choose games where that spirit is intact. Yeah, lo- lovely, Jay. So, so look, I, I, I know we've got maybe maximum another 15 minutes. So I just want to, if it's cool, just kind of turbocharge and really just go after you with a bunch of questions because I think there's so much exciting stuff in here. And so one of the things that I, was, I read you saying was like, it's, it's about what platform, right? You're a struggling artist and you're like, okay, I'm going to get into the game. What platform and how? Now, two things. So you, one of the things that you've advised is resist diversification as long as possible, meaning go after one platform. And, and I find this like really interesting. And um, I just thought, and, and you're also talking about how each platform has its own culture. So I thought maybe you could just give us a quick insight into the thinking behind that. Yeah, I mean... My, my thoughts on this are changing a little bit in this moment in time we are right now. But let me mm-hmm. let me give both cases. Yeah. So because each platform I view as a game, it's a big investment to win that game because there are games within the games. Let me give you an example. You, you would think that um, creating great content on Instagram is what you need to succeed at the Instagram game. Mm-hmm. But what you might also realize is actually... Instagram has different priorities at times. When Reels became new, they overemphasized Reels as mm-hmm. content they wanted to show in the feed. Mm-hmm. So if you're playing the Instagram game, you need to recognize, oh, the rules of the, of the game just changed. The playing field uh-huh. changed. Actually, yep. for me to succeed this game, I need to get good at Reels, <laughs> which might have been a new muscle for you. I'm so also, slow at that. <laughs> yeah. I'm so and, slow at catching up. Yeah. <laughs> And also you recognize that this is a social platform. So there are advantages to collaborating with other accounts who are also Mm -hmm. playing the game, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's no longer, hey, let me snap a photo of what I'm doing and do a quick behind the scenes story in my caption. That might not actually be what moves the needle in that game. You would Mm -hmm. actually, if you took the same amount of time and applied that towards making a reel and or building relationships with other Mm -hmm. accounts, then you're going to win that game. Mm-hmm. You can see how just succeeding on Instagram can be quickly become a very time intensive endeavor. Yeah. And if you apply that same thought to the other platforms that are out there, Twitter, <laughs> TikTok, <laughs> LinkedIn, you got to, you're going to do that across all those platforms. Yeah. Overwhelm very quickly. You know, the, the analogy I like is if you're trying to be a straight A student, would it be easier for taking one class or five classes? Right. Um, so historically I've said, pick one platform 
become a student of that game, get really good at it. Because mm-hmm. if you do get good at it, then you can leverage what you've built on that platform mm-hmm. with somebody who is on the next platform you want to conquer. And we've mm-hmm. seen this happen before where somebody says, I got a really big following on LinkedIn. I got nothing on Twitter. I'm going to yeah. go to somebody who has a big following on Twitter and nothing on LinkedIn. And we're going to support mm-hmm. each other. And we're going to help each other grow quickly. Yeah, like because Justin, you have leverage. Just, Justin Welsh did that very effectively, didn't he? Going from LinkedIn over to Twitter and then vice versa, helping other people on LinkedIn as well. Yep. So you have that leverage. If you don't have a platform, if you don't have an audience on either one of those platforms and you don't have anything to trade mm-hmm. to get there. So it, it benefits <laughs> you to, to do game. that relatively. The game. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It benefits you to do that relatively uh, focused. Mm-hmm. Now, here's where my opinions change just a little bit as of late. We, we are now in this very interesting time where I see essentially two different modalities of content. You have short form written content and you have short form, short form vertical video. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. a lot of like photography is just in a rough spot right now. Yeah. Um, just doesn't work as well because platforms are incentivized to push short form vertical video. But if you are creating short form vertical video, you could pretty effectively grow simultaneously on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube shorts. Right. So I would pick one of those as a priority and try to become a better student there. Mm-hmm. But you could take the same raw material, which is the produced video, mm-hmm. and cross post it with pretty minimal effort. Increase the same your is true surface of area. Increase your yeah. surface area, yeah. The same is true of writing right now with Twitter, LinkedIn, and uh, threads by Instagram. Mm-hmm. So pick one of those and... Uh, you can you can effectively be on all three. So it, really, the question is, if you're going to if you're going to play the game of discovery platforms, do you want to play the writing game or do you want to play the short form vertical video game? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you can you can pretty effectively be on three fields of play at the same time. Yeah, so I find that really interesting because I was also one of the reflections I was going to make is, you know, e- even though I sort of absolutely recognize the the validity of what you're recommending, it's obviously been in terms of getting, you were giving both sides there, but earlier you were saying knuckle down to one and really kind of get it going. And there's a lot to be said for that. But then the the other side of that is, so I, after about 10 years, just got back onto Twitter very recently. And like you've said, there's such a different culture there. And one of the interesting things, okay, I've got the newsletter, so I can kind of populate the sort of future using Hype Fury with like taking little nuggets out. But then suddenly it's like, okay, well, I've got my really developed all my thoughts and you can start putting that back into Instagram. Then people really like sort of nicely sophisticated short, uh, short form text in carousels or as opposed sort of over there so suddenly it's like it sort of starts cross-pollinating the message which i find very interesting and the crazy thing is jay i've got far few far fewer followers on twitter but at the moment a lot of the growth that i'm having on my newsletter and on the podcast is actually coming from twitter so it's kind of like it's so strange how Mm -hmm. how it evolves and i think maybe part of the reason for that is that I mean, obviously no one wants to be promoted at all the time, but there's a very sort of useful strategy on Twitter where you can put in your podcast, or your newsletter in the tweet below. And then people, if they, if they like the tweet, they'll just check it out. And then every, you know, and then people will start gravitating towards that. So it's so interesting, the, stra- the strategic kind of things. And so this goes to my next question. I have the sense, having gone back onto Twitter and going, man, this is like, 
it was so, so different to my experience 10 years ago. You know, I was shooting documentaries like over in the US, doing a documentary on the, the, the Trump Clinton election. And it was just like full of polarization and anger and hate. And I was like, damn, I'm not sure I kind of like, really want to be a part of it part of this in that way, just the sheer toxicity. But since I've gone back to Twitter, I've found this much more kind of supportive niche between solopreneurism and people are interested because I'm getting in, you know, I'm into the business of as a creative, getting going as a solopreneur and activating some of these things that you're sort of, you know, guiding everyone on. But I wonder if artists are sleeping about Twitter and I wonder if solopreneurs are sleeping on Instagram. Now, I know, of course, there's lots of artists who are massive on Twitter and there's solopreneurs who are you know, doing well on Instagram, but I, would you say that's a fair reflection? Broad strokes, yes. I think that there there is a different vibe and a different audience, which is why I was so excited about threads and still continue to post on threads because to me, it's it's combining those two worlds, the the ability I have to do short form writing and the audience of Instagram, which I think is... Um, comparatively less exposed to uh solopreneur ideas uh, yeah, than right. you know you know what i mean so yeah um i, I think that's threads? exciting how's it going on threads it's, it's been going well if you look at, like here's what i look at mm-hmm. if i look at engagement to follower ratio that ratio is much higher on threads than it is on twitter mm-hmm. like i will get a similar response on threads as I do on Twitter, maybe like a third as much engagement in mm-hmm. terms of pure metrics like likes, yep. retweets, whatever. Mm-hmm. But I have like a 20th of the following on threads that I do on Twitter. So that's really interesting to me. It, yep. it says that that audience is interested in that type of content. And um, I, I think there's a lot of opportunity for growth there. The other th- interesting thing about threads in particular People think that it's threads versus Twitter. People are going to leave Twitter to join threads, but that doesn't even have to be true. Yeah. Twitter has 400 million users. Uh, Instagram has like one and a half billion. Yeah. So they could just convert, mm-hmm. you know, a fair amount of Instagram users to threads users mm-hmm. and be as big as Twitter very, very yeah. quickly. Now it's, it, it's building a culture of people who use it though is the challenge. Mm-hmm. But I think the other thing is, is also being aware of the mind that is making the platform that you're a part of because when i look at sort of threads when i think about the the facebook experience which as a page you know universally as pages it's like the engagement died and you had to pay to play and it's a kind of quite a sort of normal playbook that when you know everyone knows that tiktok got so massive because you just got so much engagement and they were just that's what people want let's help them get it and give them the good stuff and whereas i think with I think there's always this sense of like, because they've got such a massive audience with Facebook, like, you know, the reach is far down on Instagram to what it was three or four years ago. And so I'm a little bit kind of cautious because I'm like, right, I've got pretty strong audience and following on Instagram, really nice community there, what, like 12, 12 and a half K or something like this. And I, and I, and I really love it there. But then I'm like, okay, I could go on to to threads, but then essentially I'm not diversifying, if you like, my portfolio of platforms because I'm like, Twitter is really offering something different for me. And it's a different type of engagement. It's also a different type of, you know, different type of people are attracted to Twitter, to Instagram. Of course, some people cross over that self-evident, but it's just a, a, it's a, just a different type of mindset. So I'm like, well, 
like you said about this sense of overwhelm and digital dilution. So for me, I'm trying to kind of play my battle. So yeah, I did finally start on TikTok this year and I'm just using it, you know, all the reels that I've got on Instagram go on to TikTok and actually it's going quite, quite well, funnily enough. But it's a sort of similar thing with Twitter. I'm like, okay, actually I'm just going to knuckle down on Twitter and I'm going to choose that compromise because I also, you know, one of my pain points, Jay, is that having kind of got you know, I've got really consistent this year, so it's not for a long time, but much more kind of like organized about the content creation side, as in a newsletter, started a podcast out of sheer love, just I love, I love, you know, yabbering away with people, but I feel like the, the love of it is going, you know, I have the sense it's going to be a sort of longer form type of thing. But the only thing as, <laughs> as I've got more kind of intentionalized with what it is I'm doing, and as you know, as you said, recognizing, okay, that's also the game. And it's like, if you want to be in the arts, here's the pathway in order to be able to continue and function. So I've kind of like really embraced it. But my, <laughs> but my pain point is that it takes, it also takes so much work in and of itself. I don't mean that as a complaint, that I love that type of work, but I must say it's eating away at the pure artistic time, whether it's going to the rehearsal room with the guitar, trying to learn a piano and, um, you know, going out shooting short documentary, you know, it's just that kind of thing that that time allocation and trade off. So that's my kind of pain point at the moment. It's like figuring out how it's kind of keep true to the artistic soul and sensibility, and then developing the other platforms, but making sure that you're not suffocating that kind of like, more purist artistic creation, if you like. Yeah, and maybe, maybe this is a good uh, kind of note to wrap up on. Yeah, something that something that I see from folks right now is what I would call a sawdust fallacy. Uh, back in 2020, Jack Butcher had this great idea. He was like, you should sell your sawdust is what he said. And the idea was, if you are creating something of depth, uh, a book, a long form video, mm -hmm. uh, an essay, through the process of creating that work, maybe as a song, there are going to be things that hit the cutting room floor. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe you took out this verse or changed this verse. Maybe you uh, cut out the scene from the video. Maybe you took out an entire chapter of your book. All of that, like a uh, woodworker or a carpenter, is like sawdust from the process mm -hmm. of making mm -hmm. the final thing. And there's mm -hmm. still value in that sawdust. And sawdust makes for great short form social media content. Right. What we see happening now, though, because people see results in terms of uh, followers on social media, they made their entire being the creation of sawdust as a product. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so I think you have to look at that and say, am I sharing the sawdust from my process? Right. Or is sawdust my product? Because sawdust doesn't actually make a very strong, enduring, beautiful product, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And if you glue a bunch of sawdust together, uh, you can do that. But that's particle board. And it's <laughs> yeah, not a very yeah, good building yeah. material. Yeah. But I think that's a lovely, it's a lovely sort of like thought. It's about the sort of, you've got, you've got the artistic product, whatever it is you're creating, that sort of deep work, longer form creation. But it's like, you cannot ignore the process of putting it out. And it's like, look, this is just how we have to be in the world is to find a way to make it work. And that means finding your audience and recognizing that not only is that part of the work, but can be enormously fun and is a part of the work. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Totally. So, so Jay, just look, if we, can I just, can I uh, uh, ask two, two very short questions? 
one one <laughs> so one short no, question ahead. oh thanks man so it was just with podcasts i just want to ask everyone one question about podcasting because you're so consistent with it at what point do you stop going crazy before you start a podcast going i need to research more the reason i ask is because i'm like you know i i've done so much research i feel very confident like you know in, in myself but then it's like you always want to have done more and you never feel quite ready so you were like with sahil you know sahil the other day and i was like what was your did you have an emotion do you still get that emotional feeling of going damn i'm not ready or are you have you just got to oh, that yeah. point yeah <laughs> no it never it never goes away uh yeah. it's it's still there um what i've taken to lately though like i feel like it's it's a it's a bigger problem when you are inviting guests on because of their name and not because you know and admire their work yeah because if you don't already know and admire their work then it's going to be a lot more time to research sure. if you know them well and you're having them on because you're uh, a fan or a yep. um uh, a beneficiary of their work, mm -hmm. then you don't need as much research mm -hmm. because the thing you have to remember in podcasting is you don't want to be too far ahead of your listeners asking questions because you have pre-existing knowledge that the audience might not, you know? So there, there are some great podcasters who go in with very, very little research yep. so that they can play the role of curious listener but there's definitely a line to toe there because you definitely want the guest to feel like you are honoring their time and yep. you're you're not asking all the same questions they get asked all the time. Yep. You want your interview to be a little bit different than other ones mm -hmm. that they've done to keep them out of conversation ruts. But um, <laughs> sure, yeah. I, I'm finding that uh, I'm doing less research than I used to. That's really good to know. Thank you. And final question then is if you were just to put out a message to let's say a struggling artist out there someone who's kind of like they've, they're fired up and they know that they've got good stuff inside them but they're just hitting some walls or some ruts just wondering if there's a, a, a little message from Jay Clouser to those people this is a long-term game as, as we've kind of already covered time is in your favor um, especially if you have an eye on getting a little bit better every time mm -hmm. you ship something, every time you do something. You can't just tread water and expect time to be in your favor. You do have to continue to get better. But, you know, uh, we don't get mad at a seedling for not being a tree. Like, it's, it's going to become that at some point. Uh, it's part of the process. Some things take time. But if you are if you are growing and leaning into time and embracing time, then it will play out in your favor. Wonderful last words, Jay. Thank you for being who you are, for giving me the shot here. And it's just so lovely to connect with you personally. Of course. Same, Jim. Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, congrats on what seems to be a very successful launch of the podcast. Uh, keep doing great work. Thanks again, man. Have a beautiful day ahead. You too. Bye, Jay.